as some of you may know, I have come to begin this moment with a song of prayer that I invite everyone to join with me in singing. For those of you who may not know it, that's okay. It won't be the end of the world. Join along as you feel led. Shall we sing together? May I be light in you. May you be light in me. Into our hearts, into our souls, let love abide. May I be love in you. May you be love in me. From this place out to the world for all time. Amen. Thank you. As you see, I made my way back down to the floor. It's very exciting. As someone who began my foray into church life much later than many of my ministerial colleagues and most of the people I spend time in church with, I can come across as a bit of an oddball. Laugh. <laughs> Much to the dismay of some, I often carry with me a desire to question everything that goes on within the context of church. Everything. Not so much, you know, because I enjoy being contrary. Although, actually, that's not true. I kind of do enjoy being contrary. <laughs> that's, that's kind of fun for me. Okay, stop. I, I hear it over there. I hear the rumblings. I hear people talking. But it, not so much because I, I enjoy being contrary, but because I think it matters a great deal not to get too comfortable at any given point about any given thing. Does that make sense? It is indeed a spiritual practice to intentionally travel the sometimes difficult road of change. Perhaps more important than that desire to question things is the fact that my fairly wide circle of church folk tend to be the types who would encourage that questioning. Right? They tend to see it as good to know how things are, and even better to challenge ourselves to consider how things can be. I like to think of these folks as the church rebels and revolutionaries in my life. For those of you who count yourselves among them, you probably know who you are. Thank you. Thank you for myself and for all of us, because we all need the rebels and the revolutionaries. Amen. So it should come as no surprise to you that as I step more fully into Unitarian Universalism, I wonder about some things. 
I have taken it upon myself to become better acquainted with our seven principles. Not just to take them at face value, but really invest in understanding them. It's important, even necessary, to take this on, both because I need to know where I am, right? And I hear from many of you about where you'd like to see this community of faith go. More than anything else, it matters to me that we each have a voice that we know we can use for the common good. Not just outside of this place when we stand up for what is right out in the world, but also in this place when we endeavor to stand up for ourselves and for each other. So I decided to start with our fifth principle, the right of conscience and the use of the democratic process within our congregations and in society at large. I'll be honest with you, I, I thought it a little bit strange that a religious body would include a commitment to a political ideology in its defining principles. That was a little odd to me. So, you know, how can we hold in such high regard the notion that we each enter into this place with so many different perspectives while at the same time holding fast to a particular way of giving voice to our hopes and desires as communities? Then, the more I have studied and read, I was reminded the Unitarian Universalism is based on two religions born in the formative years of the American Republic, each decisively influenced and shaped by the same ideas and values that gave rise to the American Revolution and American democracy as we understand it. Benjamin Rush, a signer of the Declaration of Independence was a universalist. Many other signers were as well. Joseph Priestley, the scientist and preacher who helped found Unitarian churches all over Britain and the US, greatly influenced people like Benjamin Franklin and Thomas Jefferson and John Adams, who also espoused similar beliefs. These men's religious convictions were at the heart of their formulation of America's political creed. For example, the political notion that a people have the right to self-government grows out of a religious conviction that human beings have the capacity to shape their own destiny. It's an expression of faith in the power of human beings to shape their own lives. One of the unique characteristics and basic tenets of a democracy is that its citizens get to vote, right? Figuratively and literally. And that each citizen is able to live the life of their choosing. At the heart of Unitarian Universalism's fifth principle is the notion that we bring to life our inner sense of what is good and right 
by engaging the democratic process in our congregations. But as we delve more deeply into the hopes of our association of congregations and as, as well as into the realities of this congregation's mission and vision, it becomes important to think critically, though, about how this long-standing and deeply held process has both helped and hindered the building up of the world we dream about. We must remember, after all, that many of these basic tenets and ideals weren't meant for all of us, were they? They initially weren't meant for the women in this room. They weren't meant for people who looked like me. And yet, here they are for all of us to do something valuable with it. What does our right of conscience and the use of the democratic process offer us? John Dewey, who was a philosopher and psychologist and, and a major voice of, of progressive educational reform in the early part of the 20th century, believed that democracy was most powerfully exemplified in society, not just by extending the right to vote, but by prioritizing communication that is effective enough to ensure a fully public opinion. In other words, every citizen, expert or not, politician, progressive or not, has a voice. Reverend Paul H. Beatty, perhaps one of the most tireless advocates of this particular principle, articulated a vision for the church that would encourage the widest possible diversity and pluralism. What he said was this, I want my Unitarian Universalist church to include Christians, theists, humanists, and others. I want its political discussions to include Republicans, Democrats, consumerists, and libertarians. I want its discussion of economics to include Milton Friedmanites, John Kenneth Galbraithians, Marxists, socialists, and capitalists, capitalists and free, free enterprisers. For those of you who are economics majors like I was, we can talk about who those people were later. <laughs> Such inclusiveness, Beatty said, which grows out of a radical congregational polity and the non-credal approach to religion is the only possible basis for modern Unitarian Universalism. Now, if we stop and think about what Beatty's proposing in its broadest sense, it's kind of mind-blowing, isn't it? It really is. He underscores a necessary aspect of this principle, which is that every person has a voice in community, every single one, no matter their experience or faith journey. And not only that, but that each person should be able to trust that their voice can and will be called upon and cultivated. Called upon and cultivated. Not because it's the right voice, or the right voice at the moment, but because there will always be room for each voice to be heard. Reverend Parisa Parsa puts it this way, 
It's the turning of one's heart toward rather than away from connection to others. The opening and the willingness to be vulnerable that come of the deepening life of faith. Religiously, our commitment to the democratic process asks us to bring our peace of of revelation, our knowledge of grace, into relationship with others in the place where God dwells in them. And it invites us to live communally from that kind of openness. Now, where and when can our democratic, democratic process hold us back? The beauty of Unitarian Universalism is that we hold as authoritative the internal voice of conscience that speaks in each and every human soul. It matters, right? It matters what we show up with. And as we grow in knowledge and experience, we come to new understandings about how to be together. Our religious lives become works in progress. In other words, we're never done. We show up with what we know and the hope if we invest in community is that we will shift and grow and change. The process itself can and should therefore be a work in progress as well. So we're not the only ones changing, right? We pay attention to what each of us brings and we adjust, not just in here, but out here as well. The system begins to break down though when we as a people make movements forward, but how we make meaning of those movements remains stagnant and stale. When we hold up any long-standing principle without an ongoing assessment of how effective it continues to be in times as times and people change, that principle or process becomes itself a kind of creed. And we're not a creedal faith, are we? We're a covenantal faith. And when we have more faith in the process than we have in each other, we can lose sight of our covenantal relationship with one another. And if we don't ask hard questions about whether or not there is another way to come together and stick together, we may not even realize we've, who we've left out or left behind. And for those who have gone, we may never fully understand the extent to which we've welcomed and engaged them merely at arm's length. I'm reminded of a story about a dancer I encountered in church one Sunday morning. When I was just coming up in church, really, um, at MCC New York, you know, you have to understand MCC. Every church in Metropolitan Community Church is different. 
The theology is often different. The ministers are different. Depends on where they are geographically, who the minister is and how they were trained. There are a number of reasons why the churches are so different. MCC New York, for those of you who have not been, is very high church. It is very Catholic. It looks and feels like a Catholic church in many ways, in part because its pastor was the first woman to graduate from, I think, Chicago Catholic, Chicago, Chicago Catholic Union. It's the, it's the Catholic seminary in, in Chicago. And she was the first woman to ever be ordained from that seminary. So it makes sense, right? And it's New York City. There are a lot of, quote-unquote, recovering Catholics in New York City. <laughs> and so MCC New York was this incredible place for them to go. It was very high church. And one Sunday... Worship was so impacting to someone that this incredible gentleman got up before worship ended and started dancing. He just, start, he just got up and started dancing down the aisle at a moment when people weren't supposed to be moving. <laughs> they weren't supposed to be moving. None of us. We weren't even standing to sing. And this guy got up and was just so moved that he was, and I could see he was crying and dancing. Come to find out later, um, he had been diagnosed with HIV many years ago, and the day before, he found out that it was no longer detectable in his body. And yeah. It was really remarkable, and he was just so moved by everything that was going on in his life, and the service really spoke to him. He started to dance, and he was asked to sit down. Because that's not the way things had been. That's not what you're supposed to do. I never got to introduce myself to him because after he was asked to sit down, he left the church, and he never came back. We have to pay attention to what we each bring so that we can adjust to who we can become. There is a commission on appraisal. Some of you may know what this is, have heard of this before, this body. Its mission is to provoke deep reflection and to evoke timely, creative transformation of Unitarian Universalism, our congregations, and the UUA. They spent a number of years engaging hundreds of UUs on the question of theological diversity its foundation, how we articulate it, and how we don't. And in trying to understand whether or not there is a theological perspective that can actually speak to all of us, they invited some folks to get together in focus groups. Um, and they had been formed all over the U.S. to aid them in their research. And many of the folks in these groups expressed a sense of marginalization within the UUA. What they said was that it wasn't because of a particular theological perspective, but by the majority of 
eclecticism of belief that we espouse as critical to our faith. It's important that we believe many things, and so anyone who has a particular belief in one thing may struggle in community. Essentially, the commission found that folks who tended toward a particular understanding of themselves in relation to other people, the earth and the spirit, essentially felt voiceless. They felt voiceless because topics with the potential to create conflict, oh, there's that word, were often avoided in congregations, as the commission noted in the name of harmony, but ultimately to the detriment of religious depth. Their positions weren't going to be taken seriously in either form or substance, so they chose not to speak up at all. A little bit like the dancer. This notion that we have to make room is no small task, folks. Especially in the context of this or any community of faith. But it is possible. That's the good news. It's possible. We've seen it in other places. And we see it in ebbs and flows here. It is possible. Historian, author, and civil rights activist Vincent Harding once said, I think that that determination to find a truly democratic society and to create the truly beloved community are things that can be available to us if we are willing with, to work with each other and to work with the universe on developing them. They don't come free and easy, Harding said. They are tough, tough tasks for us to take on. And despite the fact that Harding believed that we are absolutely amateurs, he said, <laughs> at this matter of building a democratic nation made up of many, many different peoples of many kinds, from many connections and convictions, and from many experiences, he also seemed clear that to know how after all the pain that we have caused each other to carry on democratic conversations that invite us to hear each other's best arguments and best contributions, to figure out how to put these things together to create a more perfect union is what helps us see the best possibilities in each other and make lasting change. But how do we even begin to take stock of what, brilliant and, what is brilliant and beautiful about our fifth principle and what's potentially damaging and dangerous? How do we even begin? We have to do essentially what the heretics and truth seekers and revolutionaries have done since the Unitarians and the Universalists beginnings. We have to continue to find ways to honor our stories, individual and collective. It's in our stories. Story is a source of nurture that we cannot live without. To find ways to tell it, to share it, 
to create it, to encourage it, allows a deep opening to take place. Stories bring together what I know, how I know it, why I know it, and why it matters that you should know it too. It brings together what you believe, how you believe, why you believe what you believe, and why it matters that I know it. And when we make room for our stories, it matters much less what process we employ. Right? It matters much less what process we employ because how you show up and how I show up is made manifest in how we engage in shared ministry with one another. Harding happened to be the one who drafted Martin Luther King Jr.'s historic speech beyond Vietnam, the time to break the silence. In that speech, he said, our first hope in our inventory must be the hope that love is going to have the last word. How do we do that? We have to keep trying. We have to ask ourselves what's working and what isn't. And we have to be willing to do it a different way. If doing it a different way enables more of us to show up. May we continue to grow in our awareness of what the voice of love sounds like and remain ever mindful of the platforms through which love can be heard, not just when we leave, but especially as we enter. Amen. Ashe, and blessed be.